0: Welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And we have a super exciting episode to share with you all today. We are going to do an update on Biden's immigration policies Mm -hmm. and uh, see where they are at this point, see what's happened, see if there's any major changes between that and the Trump administration. And then we're going to do a deep dive into Elon Musk.
1: Yeah. Well, into... Who things about him? We won't be diving into Elon Musk. No, no, no. We're not going <laughs> di- to. Oh God! <laughs>
0: no, we're going to be talking about uh, who he is as a political figure. Because yeah. unfortunately, in our modern day campaign finance system, billionaires are political figures because mm-hmm. they have an excess amount of uh, they have an excess amount of money that they can use to pour virtually unlimited funding into politicians that they want. So, yeah they're relevant and their opinions are relevant for better or for worse
1: yeah no kidding i like this episode should be interesting like the i didn't know that much about these topics before we started i had some like preconceived notions about things that might be interesting yeah. but like i hadn't like been keeping that close of a track of like biden's immigration stuff and uh, boy that one kind of surprised me a little bit um, for someone I... that campaigned on like immigration like reform yeah. and making it humane and all that stuff
0: I am sorry to say that I wasn't too terribly surprised because mm-hmm. remember he was part of the Obama administration which mm-hmm. despite what conservatives said about Obama in reality he also had a nickname as the deporter in chief because mm-hmm. he deported deported a fuck ton of people. Yeah. And I mean conservatives can try to claim open borders all they want but that doesn't change the reality that honestly when it comes to immigration when it comes to specific policies There are differences between Biden and Trump,
1: but not very many. Not many. (laughs) Not too many. Mostly a matter of rhetoric. Yeah, mostly a matter of
0: mostly a matter of rhetoric. So that's yes. So that brings us to our first uh, our first segment, which
1: is a bit of a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. So if you hadn't heard, we have a crisis at the southern border, apparently, Um, and not only our conservatives freaked out about the immigration crisis, but they also attempt to link it directly to the drug crisis, which is a fun thing that they like to connect because of their racism primarily. Um, You know, even to the degree that Marjorie Taylor Greene attempted to uh, implement a a totally unconstitutional death penalty for smuggling fentanyl across the Southern border, which was just fun. I'm just mentioning that because it was fun because they were like, what the fuck are you talking like? Other yeah. Congress people were like, um, you can't do that. That's absolutely fucking unconstitutional.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the Supreme Court specifically decided at one point that you could only have the death penalty for murder.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I
0: I, I, I think that's true. Don't yeah. quote me on that. And according like, to
1: conservatives, yeah. though, all of this is the fault of Mr. Prebendent. Uh, Jimmy Joe Jim Bob Biden. <laughs> yeah, and it's because he went over to the border
0: with a mallet, mm. beat down the wall, and said, yep. there's no longer a border. We have complete open borders. Complete open Everybody, borders. Yep. free reign into the country. You're mm-hmm. good. Come yep. on in. No laws, no restrictions. And the sad part is that characterization of the characterization of Biden is kind of a mainstream talking point.
1: It is, yeah. Which is,
0: like, I try my best to not straw man, Mm -hmm. but, like, that is the argument, that is the caricature that conservatives have created of Joe Biden. If I had a penny for every time they used the word open borders, or the phrase open borders, I could fucking retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But the reality is that, like, Biden's immigration policy um and we'll get into you know how much control he actually has but overall his immigration policies is basically one that satisfies no one because on yeah. the right even though his policies are not like significantly dif- different from trump whose immigration policies they praised he's got a uh, the right name it has yeah exactly he's a democrat so <laughs> they're gonna you know in, in the right-wing media, they'll make up whatever is necessary in order to claim that he's causing a problem with immigration. Yeah. And on the left, he actually does have really conservative immigration policies and no real, like, path to, you know, providing for uh, the kinds of paths to citizenship and protections that progressives might like. Yeah. Now, to be fair, again, like, Democrats have been at least you know mentioning immigration reform for a really long time and no progress has been made in congress whatsoever and ultimately like that is where root cause solutions would need to come from um but you know the executive does have a lot of influence and control and we'll get into kind of what areas um and ultimately Biden has just continued with many like many of the policies that, uh, that Trump established.
0: Yeah. The one thing that I will give him credit for, at least partial credit for, is getting rid of title 42. Now Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that he attempted to get rid of title 42. Republicans sued, got it re-implemented. And now that, there's no longer a state of emergency, a, a mm-hmm. state of uh, a pandemic emergency in the United States. Um, it is it is officially gone now. Mm-hmm. As a reminder, Title Forty Two was basically the law that said that if a if a person is caught coming across the border, they could just be sent back, like yeah. no processing, no you know, yeah, no due process, no. Uh, no no procedures just oh caught you go back yeah and it's important to understand that title 42 had some unintended consequences in the way we look in the way the data changed now mm-hmm. one of the things that republicans tried to say when around the time that biden had taken office was that there was this major spike in encounters at the border And their argument was, of course, that that was evidence that Biden's uh, immigration policy was encouraging people to break the law. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that the cause for the spike was actually a result of Title 42 to begin with. And here's why. There's a difference between total encounters and unique encounters. Mm -hmm. Now, total encounters are just encounters in general. How many times... The, uh, the, the people at the border, the immigration patrol, have encountered someone trying to cross the border. Unique encounters are the number of unique individuals who have been encountered. Mm-hmm. Now, because Title 42 operated as a, you're over here, okay, well, we don't want you here, and Title 42, you're going back over there. What kept happening was people that were trying to cross the border would just be like, okay, they would go back over the border to Mexico and attempt to cross again. Yeah, which meant that that would be a new encounter, which would be which would then be counted among those encounters, but it wasn't a unique encounter. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when the policy was first implemented, repeat encounters went from being approximately one eighth of encounters to one third of encounters. Mm-hmm. Now, I had trouble finding what the specific statistics were of the last year in distinguishing between unique encounters and uh, just encounters in general. I don't know why those statistics aren't as available as they were when this this was first put out, but, I mean, if that trend follows, which there's no reason to assume that it that it doesn't, the numbers that Republicans are going to be throwing out right now about the number of encounters, the number of people that are trying to cross the border right now, you do have to make sure that when you hear that you are adjusting it for the fact that a yeah. lot of those are not unique encounters. Yeah. Now that title 42 is, you know, is being repealed is no longer going to be in effect. We're actually almost certainly going to see a massive drop in the number of encounters at the border.
1: Yeah. And in the last month since title 42 was expired, which happened uh, in the second week in May, um, we actually have seen a really significant reduction, a 70% actually reduction in unlawful crossings and encounters at the border. So Customs and Border Protection has seen an average of uh, 3,400 encounters uh, per day, down from the approximately 10,000 encounters per day in the days leading up to Title 42. Hmm. So like, I think the prediction that you made is being borne out. Now, yeah. it's hard to draw pre- like perfect conclusions from these pieces of data. Yeah. And that's an important thing to recognize, right? Because by extra- over extrapolating from incomplete data, we will make the same mistakes that like Republicans make when they talk about this. Republicans yeah. are seeing an increase in encounters and saying, well, that means that the Biden administration is. Uh, failing in their uh, their work on immigration. Neglecting to recognize that increased border encounters means we're actually encountering these people, so it's not like <laughs> the barn doors are open and you just get to walk right through, yeah. um, but also the, the point that you made, Nathan. And now, you know, it's true that more people have been flooding to the southern border in general, and we can see that, in terms of just the total volume of um, individuals that are going through various programs. We've got record numbers of people um, who are going through immigration court, who are being uh, evaluated and screened as asylum seekers. Now, it's not the many X previous years that we are seeing in encounters, but there is an increase. And partially that might be due to having a Democrat as president. Right. But the thing is, the things that the factors that drive movement to the border are multivariate. Right. You've got humanitarian and political crises across the globe. And it's not just people from South and Central America who come to the southern border. It is it is a common um, entry point for people like, you know, asylum seekers from Ukraine, for example or Afghanistan people that come you know to the like central america and and attempt to cross and seek asylum at the border at the same time we've got incredible destabilization in Venezuela and and you know multiple south and central american countries all driving increases in migration overall specifically to like towards the united states um and in in addition to that you have you know a A president who did signal that they would be more less punitive than Trump in terms of their treatment of um, migrants, but at the same time, (laughs) the exact kinds of stories that Fox and the right wing media are putting out are the kinds of stories that drive migrations to the border. If you (laughs) are attempting to prevent, like, to dissuade people from coming, like, from migrating to the United States. From, from viewing, from thinking that they have an easy or credible or straightforward path to entering the United States, the thing that you would not want to be spouting is there's an open border, yeah. <laughs> which is which is the kind of evidence that mules and um, people that move migrants to the southern border use to convince people that it's the right time to go and pay them exorbitant amounts of money, take this, this harrowing and, and often deadly journey, like all there are so many factors at play here and only like one of them is biden and given his policies which we can talk through it's not even the most like him him being uh you know welcoming of migrants is not even a credible claim and yeah. so you know to some degree like i you know right wing media is as much to blame if not more <laughs> for the swell of migrants at the border um than the Biden administration. And to your point, like even the numbers that they're citing are way overinflated due to repeating counters.
0: Yeah. And there's another point that I wanted to make that I I recently read this article about and it was something that I'd never thought of before. So first off, I, I want to acknowledge that we talked about the fact that a lot of things that push immigrants to want to immigrate to the United States is often instability within mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. Right? Now, we on the pod have given examples of various times in which the United States has gone into Central America, fucked everything up, mm-hmm. and we've talked about the fact that a lot of that those destabilization efforts by the CIA during the Cold War are a huge reason why a lot of Central and South South American countries uh, are as unstable as they are right now. Yeah, but there's another factor. That uh, there is this Washington Post opinion column uh, written by uh, Jennifer uh, Boylan that I had I, previously not realized, which is the fact that the reason why drug cartels in Mexico have the ordinance that they have mm. is because of the United States. I didn't yeah. know this, but apparently there's like two gun stores in Mexico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it is extremely hard to get a gun legally in Mexico. Mm. And in fact, what has been happening based on based on research that this opinion columnist uh, cited is that gun stores in Texas are selling guns to people that are then smuggling those guns and weapons over the border in similar ways that drugs are smuggled from mexico into the united states Mm -hmm. and that is arming the cartels over in mexico which is creating the violence in the first place yes totally so basically it's almost like a trade route we give them guns they give us drugs yep creates instability so the point that i'm making is Is that a lot of the instability that is happening that is causing people to want to migrate in the first place is shit that we did?
1: Yes. Which means
0: that we have a moral responsibility to do something about the fallout of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a good example. I mean, almost every single segment of Sorry We Fucked Up Your Country drives, like, is an example of something that drives instability and has, and likely drives you know, migrants to the United States that we've like directly caused. And to your point, a couple studies have shown that between 70 and 90% of guns recovered at crime scenes in Mexico are traced back to U.S., the U.S. drug cartels. Yeah. 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 I,
0: I mean, I'm never going to forget this segment that Laura Ingram did at one point where in an argument against accepting refugees from other countries, she was basically like, I mean, we can't just accept an influx of refugees every time we fuck up a country.
1: Oh, boy. And it's like, <laughs> or we could stop fucking countries up. <laughs> That's not an option, Nathan. <laughs> you mean totally wreck our foreign policy? <laughs>
0: yeah. So, Michael, what are what are some of the policies that the Biden administration have been implementing? And how different are they from the Trump administration's?
1: Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I think there's like two kinds of bodies of policies um, that the Biden administration has been putting in place. Over the last couple of years, they've mainly been focusing on um, actually kind of good things when when it comes to interior enforcement of immigration laws. So things like Increasing like the resources for immigration courts so they can process people faster. Things like rather than like reducing detainment of um, of uh, migrants in the United States and putting them out on their own recognizance, often with like tracking, like tracking with ankle monitors or apps, which is like I mean obviously that's still a, a pretty I mean, draconian measures. Better than
0: detainment, but but
1: better than detainment. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's still kind of I don't know. It still rubs me the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and they have re- re- reduced rates of deportation. So ice, um, you know, while 2022 numbers were higher than 2021, so there were about 72,000, uh, deportations in 2022, they're way below peak years. So, um, during the, uh, Trump administration, an average of two hundred and thirty-three thousand removals took place, and there were three hundred and forty-four thousand uh, removals per year during the Obama administration. So significant reduction in deportations under the Biden administration, which is great. Something yeah. that's good. That's something. That's good. And so overall, like it's those kinds of um, resources for dealing with people once they get to the United States and have a uh, a claim that they've been improving the other category of laws that he's putting in place though are not pretty much different at all from the laws that, that, uh, that Trump put in place. And these are specifically um, controls and, um, and punishments for people coming to the United States and attempting to enter illegally. So for example, you know, title 42, is over, right? So Title 42 just denied people their right to seek asylum under uh, you know, the extra control that happens under the under things like the pandemic, which uh, you know, people have a right to come to the United States and seek asylum. They have a right to be screened for credible uh fear of persecution in their homeland. So it's good that Title 42 has been removed. However, like the Biden administration has put in place new controls um that Attempt to dissuade and discourage crossings. So one is um, that anybody caught crossing the uh, the border illegally will be not eligible to enter the United States for five years. Um, mm. And if they do, they could be, uh, you know, prosecuted criminally. Um, and importantly, they have required that uh, people seeking asylum in the United States first seek asylum in a country that they pass through on their way so if they pass through another country they have to seek asylum there first or they are straight up ineligible for asylum in the United States
0: which is a Trump administration policy yeah that was overturned by the courts yes
1: yeah like, that's a bad one <laughs> yeah cuz like it's it's it treats people as just like commodities to be moved around right yeah like just because you're seeking asylum means you should seek asylum anywhere even if it's yeah. a country with problems similar or worse than your own <laughs> yeah it's like um it's not a solution it's just a way to discourage people from coming to the border
0: yeah and on top of that, you're probably not going to get asylum from a lot of those countries to mm-hmm. begin with. Yeah. So at this point, you're just adding extra steps that you have to take mm-hmm. in the already convoluted U.S. immigration process.
1: Seriously. Yeah. On top of that, like for asylum seekers, they're requiring that um, you book an appointment via an app on your phone. The app is very buggy. Again, like that's not a huge thing, but you're just ineligible for asylum if you don't do that. And yeah. so... Again, to your point, it's adding, you know, friction in an experience that is already really yeah. confusing and convoluted and bad for people that are fleeing dangerous situations in their home countries.
0: Yeah. What people need to understand is that if you're making the decision to uproot your life, mm-hmm. you're doing it because you're fucking desperate. Yeah. If you're trying to leave the place that you've that you've called home your entire life, you're doing it because you're fucking desperate. Mm-hmm. The reason why there is so much undocumented immigration in the United States is because the process is so fucking hard. Exactly, yeah. All right. When you put a fi- like when you put a five year ban on trying to come to the United States when you've already tried to do it in the first place, that's just you're basically just telling a family, okay, fuck the legal process. Mm-hmm. All right. You're incentivizing people to take the illegal process. Yeah. When you say, here are all of the hurdles that you need to jump through, all the unnecessary hurdles that you need to jump through in order to do the legal process. If you're desperate, if you're desperate to get to somewhere that you're not having your life threatened, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be like, okay, fuck that. I'm going yeah. in illegally. Yeah. That's what happens. We know this because almost without like almost without exception every single time the united states has increased border security it has resulted in an increase of undocumented immigration hmm. all right and a huge reason for that number 1 it dis- it dis- it, dis- it disincentivizes circular migration which is basically where um you know you have a lot of people that uh, maybe live close to the border but then work across the border Mm -hmm. and the more border security that you put up, the more they're like, okay, well I guess I'm just going to stay in the United States because it's going to be hard for me to get back. Although studies have shown that it does not disincentivize people that were desperate in the first place from coming over. It makes it more dangerous, Yes, which means that there's no reason for them to want to go back, which Mm -hmm. means if they come to the United States, they're going to fucking stay in the United States. Yeah. All right. Because it's gonna because the harder you make it for them to to come back, the more likely they are to just stay. That's what happens.
1: Yeah. So ultimately, like Biden has only a certain amount of control over the immigration system, right? Um, As the executive, so a lot of these fundamental problems, like a pathway to citizenship, um, and reducing some of the complexity in our system are not things that he might be able to single-handedly take on. And he has made some improvements in interior enforcement. Like, we shouldn't totally just disregard those. Yeah. But ultimately, like, the Democrats had the at least a slim majority in the Senate and a majority in the House for two years during his administration. We did pass priority legislation during that period. Like, some kind of immigration change could have happened now it wouldn't have been easy it might not have been everything we hoped for but ultimately like we're in this position right now where he's throwing up his hands you know my hands are tied I got to do these things just to just to deal with the the number of people that are they're coming through the border Uh, but in a way like I think he probably missed a significant opportunity and ultimately like his border policies are Not as bad as Trump's. You know, we're not putting kids in cages, although his administration has at least discussed detaining families, which is normally not, not, um, you know, not done at the border. But, so, you know, not as draconian, not as evil as Trump's policies for the most part, but similarly harsh to, and, and similarly harsh to asylum seekers. Again, these are desperate people. These are people that are fleeing, like, horrible experiences and fear for their lives and for their families in their home countries that have a right to seek asylum. And he's putting up roadblocks and putting up um, ways to prevent them from coming into the United States and 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 exercising their right under international and u s. law. And that's pretty fucked up. And I have to say, like, there's a good reason why his reputation on immigration is so bad.
0: Yeah, this
1: is not what I voted for. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, Tips for Good. So, Nathan, why do we do Tips for Good? Well, Michael, we do Tips for Good every week
0: because, oh, she's cute, but a psycho. Mm. A little bit psycho. At night, she's screaming, I'm a mild, my mind. Oh, she's hot, but a psycho. So left, but she's right, though.
1: Know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Is that yeah. what they say? Is she say oh my I'm out of my mind? At night she's
0: screaming, I'm a mouth of my mind. Or out my mind. Yeah.
1: Wow. i out my mind. I literally I that was totally a situation for me where whenever I was saying along to that song, I would just be like be like <laughs> Ma
0: ma ma ma, ma. <laughs> Yeah. No, she had no idea what you she saying. She's like she's like she's stuttering on the M. It's like Sh- at mm. night she's screaming, I'm a mouth my mind.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Wow. I, you know, you learn a lot. And You know
0: what? Learning learning the proper lyrics for songs makes the world a better place. It does. It does because you can sing them properly and all those good things. Which oh. coincidentally is also why we do tips for good. So that's
1: why we do it. That's okay. It. That's that it right makes there. sense. Okay. I like it. I like it. This is a good segment. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so Nathan, what yeah. is our tip for good today? Our tip for good this week is now
0: that climate change has been creating wildfires that produce smoke that covers half the fucking country (laughs) despite the fact that it happened in canada Mm. we need to start being aware of our air quality it's almost as if climate change is an international issue (laughs) yeah it's almost as if Hmm. now It is very possible that the current smoke from the current wildfire while we're recording this will be cleared up by the time this is posted or by the time you read it. But that doesn't mean that a lot of what we're going to say is not still going to be applicable in case this happens again, or Mm -hmm. should I say, when this happens again. So first off, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. There is an app, or rather there's a website called airnow.gov, In which you can go there and you can type in your zip code and it will tell you what the current air quality is where you are living Um, now one little caveat to that when you're looking at that website i would look at the map as well as what the reading says that it gives you because sometimes there are some readings within your localities that might not be uh, up to date Um, but you can see the maps and you can look at the legends and it'll tell you Basically, a, um, a spectrum of your air quality being good, moderate, unhealthy for sensitive groups, unhealthy, very unhealthy, and hazardous. Mm-hmm. Um, use that as a resource in order to determine your air quality. If you are in a place where there is some type of unhealthy level of air quality, keep your pets inside as much as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, Don't have them out too much. If you do have to go outside... It is recommended that you wear a mask and that you not do a lot of physical exertion. So if you're somebody that really likes to exercise outside, maybe don't do that. There's smoke all over the place. And just be aware and take care of yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, this is like a big deal. I think for me as like a younger person and like uh, someone who's pretty active, and I've always kind of thought like, eh it's air. If I can if I can physically breathe it, my body can probably deal with it. You know what I mean? Like uh eh, if I can if it's not like making me gag and cough, like it's probably fine. Yeah. But that's really not true <laughs> at I, all.
0: Well, I mean even even this morning like in w- where I live, it's in the red zone, which mm-hmm. is the the unhealthy zone, not the very unhealthy zone, but the unhealthy zone. Mm-hmm. And I went outside this morning and like you could see smoke everywhere. Like yeah. there was like it wasn't it wasn't necessarily reducing visibility, but you mm-hmm. could see it and you could smell it. And even just spending a few minutes out there uh letting my dogs piss, I was like I came inside and, and I, I felt raspy. Yeah. Like my voice was raspy. And I'm not even necessarily a, a sensitive group. I'm not a particular I'm not necessarily a, a, an unhealthy person or yeah. asthmatic or anything like that. You know?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean and that's the thing. To your point. These kinds of events are just going to get more common. Yeah. Air pollution, which this is included in, already accounts for an estimated 7 million premature deaths per year worldwide, which is only going to go up. And you might think like, oh, well, how common is you know a huge wildfire? How How problematic is this really? But like a lot of cities experience on a semi-regular basis, at least elevated levels of air pollution. And so, like, being aware of your air quality, having resources on hand like N95 masks in order to, like, help filter out low-quality air can actually lengthen your life. And that's tips for good. So when I think of the world's wealthiest person, right, I automatically think that I love that guy. That is someone that I love. I think, boy, if only everybody were as great as that guy. Really, but that's I'm, what you think. I'm the outsider, you know. Like I'm, I'm not that common, you know. So, you know, if you are one of those people that doesn't automatically think the ultra wealthy are God's favorite children, then. We thought we would dive into a little bit deeper <laughs> in the background of our wealthiest individual, Elon Musk.
0: Yes, because this show is notoriously pro-billionaire.
1: Pro-billionaire, <laughs> pro-billionaire.
0: We no. we love the billionaires. All right, we have a we we got them on speed dial.
1: Yeah, we love them. Come listen to our show. Give us money. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: before we get into this, why the fuck is a political show?
1: Doing a segment about mm. Elon Musk. It's a great question. So, yeah, yeah. Aside from just like we should tax the wealthy until yeah. they're not so wealthy. Yeah, that's a good question, Nathan. Why? Why are we even talking about this guy? What does he matter? So, first off, as I alluded to in the
0: uh, in the intro to this podcast, unfortunately. In today's political landscape, which is dominated by money and uh, moneyed interests, every single billionaire is a political force because every single billionaire has the ability to give ungodly amounts of money to political candidates or political causes that support their own interests, which means that if a billionaire is becoming politically active in a specific fashion or on a specific issue, their comments, their opinions do matter. Mm -hmm. They're not just the loud mouth at the bar. Their opinions are going to have an actual impact. Yeah. So they're worth looking at. Number two, Elon Musk owns Twitter. Yeah. I mean, need I say more? There is... A lot of discourse that happens on Twitter. There is the ability for people in power to spread bullshit on Twitter. There is also the ability for people who are activists to spread their messages and to spread truth on Twitter. It is a public space, it is a public square. And the person who has power over a public sphere such as Twitter, their opinions matter. And their actions do matter in the grand scheme of things. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I can't imagine a more powerful combination, the richest person on earth, in control, direct despotic control over the, at least one of the U.S.'s largest platforms for political speech, including speech from politicians. You know, it is the platform for all of that stuff. So he has absolutely an incredible and outsized influence on many aspects of political life.
0: Yes, yes. So we thought we'd do a segment in which we kind of broke down who the fuck is this guy? What does he actually stand for? And is he a force for good or bad in the world? Yeah. Because there are some people whom I have a lot of respect for that find Elon Musk to be a force for good. Mm -hmm. And there are many people that I also have a lot of respect for that think that he is a raging dog shit fire. Mm -hmm. And so honestly,
1: he's probably a bit of both and we'll get into it for sure. Cause like honestly, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Cause like early on in his career, he spent a lot of time, convincing people and investing in the image of himself as a visionary for good. Yeah. Um, And yeah, we should talk about whether that's, whether that's the case. Ultimately though, to your point, Nathan, his approval rating in 2021, according to one poll was 50%. Yeah. Which is way higher than normal billionaires, but also like way higher than presidents, political leaders. Like this is a very popular individual who, you know, Appears to be a force for driving innovation and, yeah. uh, and then improving climate and all that stuff. So um, yeah. we should figure out what's behind this guy. So the first thing
0: that I think we should quickly address is the Emerald Mine.
1: Yeah. Which because is not a metaphor. There's
0: a lot of, yeah, <laughs> that's not a metaphor.
1: <laughs> the Emerald Mine there's, in the room, you know?
0: Yeah. There's a lot of conflicting narratives about the Emerald yeah. Mine. Yeah. so let's let me let me try to walk you all through it and hopefully try to get to the bottom of what is the Emerald mine and how much truth is there to it and to what extent did it help if it exists or if it is a uh, a factor mm-hmm. To what extent did it prop Elon Musk up? first off let's let's understand what it is. basically there was this rumor, that started going around, I believe it was in 2014, that Elon Musk was not as much of the self-made man as he tried to uh, portray himself to be. That what was actually happening, what had actually happened, was that his father had owned some massive emerald mine in South Africa, became monumentally wealthy, and then gave Elon Musk this massive, basically, jumpstart in sending him to America. So, what is the truth to that? Well, it is confirmed that Elon Musk's father did actually own a stake in an emerald mine. Um, The emerald mine was actually in um, Zambia, not in South Africa, even though they did live in South Africa. Recently, Elon Musk actually basically said, uh, offered like a a cryptocurrency bounty saying, if anybody can prove that it actually exists, like I'll give you a bunch of money. And then Elon Musk's father did an interview with the son in which he basically said, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course it exists. (laughs) Now, in Elon Musk's defense... In the same article, his father did dispute the claim that Elon Musk was basically this trust fund baby that was jump started by his father, and uh, you know, and, and that his father basically gave him a ton of money to help fund his businesses. Um, his father did say that Elon Musk has made good decisions uh, sure. business wise, yeah. and that Elon Musk uh, has earned what what he has right now. But he did confirm, or at least. He did argue, he did claim that he did have a stake in an emerald mine. Mm-hmm. There was kind of an under-the-table emerald mine, which, you know, he assumes that's why Elon Musk uh offered a bounty because he figured that would be really hard for people to prove that it exists because it was this <laughs> under the table type of uh, type of emerald
1: mine. You know um, human rights abuses never occur in off the books emerald mines. <laughs> yeah. Um, what he did say
0: was that he actually did send Elon Musk money over to the United States in order to help pay for his college, in order to help pay for his room and board, mm-hmm. uh, which disputes the claim that Elon Musk made, uh, ha- has been making about how he graduated from college with over $100,000 in student debt.
1: Yeah. Yeah a big part of Elon's personal narrative is a bit of a rags to riches story yeah. and frequent claims that like, <clears throat> while he was investing millions of dollars in businesses, he was having to borrow money to pay rent. Uh, yeah. Cause you know, he's just had to put his money where, you know, his, his values lie. Yeah. Um,
0: now Elon Musk has admitted that when he started his first company, which was uh, Zip2, that his dad did provide him some financial aid Mm -hmm. in the form of uh, Mm $200,000 in angel funding. But he also claims that that was after the company had already kind of established itself and therefore there was no risk for it anymore. Now, how much truth is there to that? I I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I think that that, I think that probably summarizes a lot of the claims about the Emerald Mine, Mm -hmm. because at this point, I mean, I will say I I usually find dads to be fairly credible sources of information, Um, but it is kind of his word against his dad's word. Sure. So, you know, to to what extent did his father... um, fund his way through college and pay for his room and board. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. And at this point, I would say there's not enough evidence in the form of direct documentation to demonstrate one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the other point that I would make is that I don't know how much... I mean, okay, it matters if there was an emerald mine that was conducting human rights abuses. But to the extent that we're talking about whether or not Elon Musk was like self-made or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it matters because I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm already of the belief that you should have tuition free college, mm-hmm. that money should never be yeah. a, uh, th- that money should never be a barrier to going to college. Yep. You know, I, in fact, I even like the, the model that they've done in a lot of Scandinavian countries where they actually give students stipends to go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, since I believe that, I, I think that it's reasonable for me to, You know, to look at something like that and be like, well, you know, I have no problem with the fact that you're paying for your son to go through college. Yeah. I mean, that's what my parents do. Yeah, exactly. And if you you have parents that can afford that, then then great. Yeah. It means that you can focus on your studies. Now, that is a privilege that not everybody can have. And it's a little bit annoying that Elon Musk has dismissed the idea of college in the past as being something that people just do for fun that you don't actually need, <laughs> which, you know, it's easy for you to fucking
1: say. Yeah. But, we went to University of Pennsylvania in Warden. We went to an Ivy League school. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like, uh to the extent that it interferes with his narrative, I don't know how much it matters.
1: I 100% agree with you, and I'll add a point to that. Like, you know, to your point, it's one thing if he's saying this because he's lying to try to get credit. Yeah. That is a problem. It's hard to tell if he's lying or not. Most importantly, though, it's absurd to think that $20,000 or college tuition or whatever can really be the difference maker relative to $200 billion in wealth. All of us started from poverty. If you had, if you started (laughs) with like $200,000, that's still poverty relative to $200 billion in wealth. So it's just like not really relevant. Um, Like there are lots of people who have their college paid for and don't become the wealthiest person on earth. Um, And so like, I totally agree with you. I think it says more about his about what his motivations might be than it says about him individually. Whether yeah. if it's a lie, you know, that says more about him than than whether it actually matters that it is true. Yeah. And and to your point, like to be fair, like you know, Zip2, even with a $200,000 infusion of cash, sold for $340 million. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's an that's an amazing feat to be the founder of something that sold for that much money. Yeah. One thing I will say though to your point is like is one thing that I found really interesting as I was trying to do research on Musk was the amount of fawning over him that there was. Yeah. Like it took some digging to add some level of depth to yeah. the lore surrounding Elon,
0: yeah, that's that is one of the things that I found difficult too because he has absolutely created a kind of mm-hmm. creepy cult of personality, yeah, around him, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes makes it hard to find information that is reliable, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, so. You know so th- so that, that's something that I struggled with as well
1: so after he sold zip 2 uh, he and his brother sold it for 340 million dollars um, he used his buyout to create a quote unquote fintech called x.com which promised to totally redefine banking become the bank of the future and all this stuff as a result he got like lots of funding um, it, be- it became it was very splashy all this stuff an issue is that it doesn't seem like it actually was much of anything yeah and so if you were to just read the headlines that all the fawning articles say he like turned 340 billion million dollars into this this you know groundbreaking fintech company that turned into PayPal and he's this genius but ultimately like Elon's co-founders were pretty uh were were pretty uh, frustrated with him because so much of his emphasis was on selling the image of x.com to the media even though there wasn't really very much to the company itself in fact according to future sec filings the company even mentioned that they had a total lack of proprietary technology as a corporate risk Hmm. yeah and so and on top of that their, their tech like didn't work like it had a number of cybersecurity risks and a number of like money laundering risks like allowing potential bad actors to transfer funds with uh from any account in the nation's banking system with just an account number so very few protections on the the flow of of money
0: so one of the narratives that we often are fed about elon musk is that his i guess contribution to the creation of paypal Mm -hmm. revolutionized the
1: entire financial sector of the world yes to what extent yes. is that actually true, Michael? It's not really true. <laughs> it seems not very, very true at all. So, what happened basically was Peter Thiel um, had founded a company called uh, Cofinity, which owned a product or in a, in a company called PayPal. And X.com was merged with this company. And you know it, again it's one of those things that depending on which source you read it's difficult to tell what the truth is because some of them say Elon Musk was you know revolutionized PayPal and then Peter Thiel ousted him other sources um seem to say that you know Musk was you know m- largely mismanaging x.com and continued to try to promote that brand despite being merged with another company and that the ultimately the x.com part of the product was abandoned and the paypal product continued one executive named uh, Roloff botha uh, alleged that musk was may have been hiding serious financial issues from the board of directors um and eventually you know the 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 pro musk narrative says that peter thiel ousted him but this this other narrative uh is that basically employees of the company Petitioned the board to fire Musk because of his harmful impact on the company. And ultimately, he was fired. And according to this executive, Botha, quote, it would have killed the company if Elon had stayed on as CEO for six more months. Yikes. Yikes. Yikes indeed.
0: So maybe not the financial sector revolutionary that Perhaps. he is, that he purports to be.
1: Perhaps not
0: well I think that's a that's a good t- it's a good time to transition to what I think he's best known for which mm-hmm. is cars yes so one of the things that he is most given credit for is uh, revolutionizing electric vehicles specifically through the use of lithium-ion batteries so the company Tesla is known for creating one of the first well actually the first, electric vehicle that was sold for regular commercial use now how much credit can elon musk get for that well first off i think it's important to note that the use of lithium-ion batteries was not originally his idea um the original co-founders of tesla were uh martin eberhard and uh mark uh tarpening tarpening i think that's how you say their names and Elon Musk joined the company because basically they needed someone to fund it. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted someone to provide the funding uh, for it. And you know, Elon Musk at this point was already very wealthy. Yep. So Elon Musk in April of 2004 invested uh 6.35 million out of uh, Tesla's 6.5 million uh, series a funding. So basically he was the guy with the money. He wasn't the ideas guy. He was the guy with the money.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And in fact, initially the, uh, the idea of the, the initial propulsion system failed to convince Musk. And then the, the two co-founders basically shared their love of space exploration Hmm. when they met Musk and used that as the conversation starter. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, that's what ended up bringing him on board, mm. because he was like, oh, we can eventually use some of the technology we de- we develop in these propulsion systems to make rockets. I want to go to space. Fuck it. I'm in. <laughs> yeah.
1: Seriously. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and what's interesting is that later down the line, Eberhard was eventually voted off the island, as in, in his own words. And in 2009, he publicly accused Musk of mismanaging Tesla, mm-hmm. which you know would lead to, among other things, some some court battles that had happened. Um, and then uh, the other co-founder, uh, Tarpening, uh, he left ahead of the Model S launch, but apparently he's still on good terms with with Musk. Mm-hmm. The point is, he was not necessarily the original idea guy. Yeah. Now, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that. He's done nothing for the company. Obviously, his investment kind of drove it forward. But the question is, is that because he's a smart engineer or is it because he's a rich guy
1: that saw an opportunity? Sure, yeah. And being a rich guy with an opportunity is credible, right? Yeah. Being able to identify a good opportunity, especially one on the cutting edge of technology and innovation, is a very valuable trait to have. Um, Does that make him the 50% approval rating worthy, you know, god of business that people worship him as? Maybe not. Um, yeah. Does it make him the person responsible for, you know, saving the planet by reducing emissions from cars? Probably not. Um, partially because he wasn't the founder, um partially because uh he ousted the founder <laughs> and and really attempted to gain a lot of like use tesla to gain a lot of prominence um partially because of the way that musk has you know used his charisma and um you know savvy with the media to be able to uh drive interest and investment things like uh advocating for tesla to receive um like loans from the government during like 2008 bailouts. Um, things like, you know, bolstering Tesla's uh, profit and loss statements, right? Their PL um, by, you know, receiving a lot of carbon credits, which is, you know, great. They're not producing a bunch of greenhouse gases, uh, but then turning around and selling those carbon credits to other companies so that they could produce those greenhouse gases and Tesla could, you know, look less unprofitable. Um, yeah ultimately i think a lot of people are holding out for elon musk the good guy to win out in the end right they're holding out for the short-term necessity of someone who repeatedly misleads investors about secured funding in order to garner more funding someone who you know sees some of the potential in reducing greenhouse gases and sustainability, parlays that into an image of uh, like a savior, uh, a very wealthy billionaire savior, um, and then, you know, gets credit for reducing greenhouse gas emissions while selling carbon emissions to other companies. Um, and, And this is all just part of getting to the end state of like, you know, doing all of the incredible things that Elon Musk claims are part of his vision. They're just necessary. We have to put up with with Musk in order to get all these benefits. And I think that's what makes his cult of personality so dangerous, is that people are willing to accept a lot of terrible things from him. Yeah. They're willing to put up with someone owning personally $200 billion, who lies to people continuously, who purchases uh, Twitter and then then makes it horrible. And we can talk more about that. Um, Yeah. Who is sued regularly, not just, you know, not fr- and not frivolously, who's fined by the SEC for misleading investors? Like, we're willing to put up with this guy because he seems so special.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I think Americans are often like predisposed to want to see some type of hero come and save us. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, what better hero? than some supposedly uh, genius dude trying to make electric cars to fight against climate change. Totally. Because honestly, all of the anxiety regarding climate change is very real. Yeah. And electric cars, make no mistake, that's the transportation of the future. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out. You know, we do have to consider the fact that a lot of the lithium that is mined in order to create the batteries Mm -hmm. are often... Uh, mined by borderline slave labor in foreign countries, mm-hmm. which that's not okay. Yeah. Uh, the devices that's used to mine it in the first place produce a hell of a lot of carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's also important to consider the fact that even though they are more efficient uh, efficient than combustion engines, if the the electricity that's going into the vehicle is coming from a coal power plant anyway, yep. it's still producing carbon emissions. Mm-hmm you know so you know we it's not just about the cars yeah. you also have to make sure that you're uh you're making the entire energy sector green yeah. so it's but but all that being said electric cars are absolutely the cars of the future mm-hmm. they're they're going to have to happen because you know even without climate change we're running out of fossil fuels Yeah. and we're going to run out eventually or at least we're going to get to the point where it is just not financially feasible to continue to burn fossil fuels mm-hmm. because they're going to be so rare and so expensive that, yep. like, why the fuck would you do that? But the thing is, Musk is not the only reason why that's happening in the first place. Yes, exactly. Like that's, I think that's the important point. Yeah. You could say that he is an important factor in what allowed Tesla to rise to prominence, mm-hmm. but the people that make that happen... Are the people that that work for him? Are yeah. the engineers that actually that are that come up with brilliant ideas in order to mm-hmm. improve the technology? I mean, this is this is a problem that I think a lot of activist groups and and activist uh, movements have had in the past, where there's always such an emphasis placed on figureheads that mm-hmm. you don't think about all of the people working behind the scenes to make it happen in the first place. Totally, because you know you want to have a hero to. To praise when when things are going right. you yeah. want to have a hero to, to look at and be like, that's the guy that saved me. but mm-hmm. that's not the guy that's saving you. There are a lot of people that are trying to save you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's worth being skeptical of this cult of personality. For example, the the blog post um, that Elon Musk, you know put out the master plan blog post for Tesla, which you know, is supposed to be this incredible strategic document appears to be largely a the the strategy that Tesla was already planning to implement prior to Elon Musk coming uh, in and taking control of the company. So like even that is like worth questioning. On top of it, there's there's some evidence and pretty good evidence that he runs his companies badly, not just not just runs them like, sweatshops which he does but also runs them really dysfunctionally so on the sweatshop side in May 2017 New York Times reported that the safety record at Tesla's Fremont California factory um, reported incident rates that were even above some of the most dangerous uh, industries in the United States we're talking about more injuries in the Tesla factory than in sawmills and slaughterhouses and in 2018 the injury rate improved, but just like so many of Elon Musk's in like uh, claims to fame, it's more smoke and mirrors than it is credible. So it turns out that the, one of the reasons that it improved was because they started to proactively avoid reporting injuries rather it than makes... actually reducing injury rates, including not calling ambulances for injured employees so that it wouldn't be reported. So, like— Jesus terrible fucking conditions and I think it's tempting for us to overlook some of the dysfunction in his offices as well because of how highly paid some of these people are like it's everybody has heard the stories of Elon Musk's fucking tirades his uh, tears will he'll go on firing sprees or he'll force people to work for you know impossible hours And like, that's horrible. That's like, yes, it's not as bad as like perhaps working horrible hours in a sweatshop or in one of his factories where you're going to get physically injured. But these are really dysfunctional work environments and dysfunctional leadership. And on top of that, like his own ego and cult of personality that he's fostered himself seems to be leading to a lot of dysfunction in his organization. So one chief engineer at Tesla, you know, as an example for of like of of this this dysfunction, a chief engineer Tesla reached out to him, notifying him of potentially serious safety concerns with the Model S. Rather than, you know, taking these concerns and going and fixing it, she was immediately fired. <laughs> so, like to your That's point, not like not
0: what the good guy does.
1: <laughs> yeah, and again, it's one of the th- these are the things that we seem to be willing to put up with in order to get the goods but it seems like he's not necessarily delivering the goods and to your point like it's, it's you know it's tempting not only to to feel like we need a hero but it's hard to make the claim that there isn't something unique and special and and worthy about Elon Musk it's hard to, to look at someone and say you're the richest person you must have done something. There's some reason why you're the richest person. And there probably is, but it might not be that he's our savior. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about Twitter. Yeah. Twitter's <laughs> an interesting one.
0: Twitter is a very interesting one. And I think at this point we're starting to we're gonna start to drift over a little bit more into uh political character territory. Mm-hmm. Um, than just competence. But there's definitely a lot to be said about competence regarding
1: Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. So in 2022, Elon Musk bought Twitter. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So there's lots of reasons why this was a total fucking disaster. Partially, it's trading on the same grift that he's been trading on for many of his companies, where he signals that he has funding for a big financial move, in order to then get funding for the big financial move. The problem was, in this case, he claimed to have funding to purchase Twitter at a very high price, and then a significant amount of that funding was coming from his own Tesla stock, which significantly dropped in value. He, In fact, he holds the world record for the person that has lost the most money ever— where he lost $182 billion between November 2021 and January 2023, which dropped the bottom out of his ability to um, buy Twitter, and yet he was locked into this contract, which which is why he went on that whole thing of like claiming that the Twitter bots were the reason he didn't want to buy Twitter. Right? It was his attempt to try to back out of the deal without being charged a billion dollars in penalty fees. Um, and the reason Tesla stock lost all that money is because of his attempts to use it to buy twitter and as a result he's been sued by tons of people including tesla investors and uh and and uh, the twitter board as well for trying to back out of the deal ultimately he was able to pull together both his funding and add in a bunch more cash from uh from his tesla stock and and buy twitter and it has only gotten worse since then.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, so the reason why he said he wanted to buy Twitter
0: was mm-hmm. because he was this free speech absolutist mm-hmm. and he didn't like all of the, the censorship that was happening on Twitter. He didn't like the fact that uh, dissonant voices were being targeted, that stories were being silenced, that politicians were coordinating with Twitter in order to to silence specific uh, specific stories that made them look bad, and he's he's doing this because he's this he's this free speech absolutist free speech warrior. Mm-hmm. Here's a problem with that. First off, uh, and we talked about this on the pod when the Twitter files were initially released or at least the interpretation of the Twitter files were released to were released by two journalists that were already biased in favor of Elon Musk who had taken a look at the Twitter files it was revealed that literally the only example of the Biden administration telling them to like delete a tweet were dick pics of Hunter Biden and it even revealed the fact that the Trump White House had also asked them to delete some stories. Now, we don't know what stories they were trying to delete, but they had asked them to delete some stories. So basically, it ended up being a big nothing. All right. E- even though the people that were demonstrating it were try- trying to show it, um, were trying to do it in a way that incriminated uh, Twitter, that incriminated the Biden administration,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it just it completely fell apart. Yeah. Um now I would just like to say, you know, you if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I usually think of myself as a free speech absolutist, and I usually don't like political censorship when it comes to social media. So if we're actually looking at the goal, I completely agree with the goal of trying to that, that, that Elon Musk tried to purport to have. But here's the problem. It's complete bullshit <laughs> because a report came out that showed that Elon Musk has actually been coordinating with authoritarian leaders around the world in order to silence political dissonance on the platform.
1: Jesus fucking And the funny
0: Christ. thing is when I first heard that, when I first heard that, I heard it from uh from one of the leftist commentators that I follow, and I honestly thought there's got to be more to it than that. Like there's, you know, maybe it's like some political dissonance got caught in an algorithm or something. And, you know, they're trying to make something out of nothing, but no, apparently that's exactly what fucking happened. And Musk even admitted it and defended it with the stupidest fucking defense I've ever seen in my life. Okay. So, so Turkey, uh, whose, uh, leader is, uh, Erdogan who is this authoritarian douche, basically pressed in the courts of uh, of Turkey to either ban Twitter from Turkey if Twitter did not agree to basically shut down some specific accounts of political dissonance. And in responding to this allegation, uh, specifically... Uh, This was an allegation that uh, Matt Iglesias, who is a Bloomberg columnist, said uh, he, he tweeted, quote, the Turkish government asked Twitter to censor its opponents right before an election and at Elon Musk complied. Musk replied to this, saying, quote, did your brain fall out of your head, Iglesias? The choice is to have Twitter throttled in its entirety or limit the access of some tweets. Which one do you want? You think that's a fucking defense? Jesus. You think that's a fucking defense? So, so a, a a fucking authoritarian leader comes to you and says, "I'm going to take your entire social media platform out of my country unless you censor my political opponents," and you think that going along with it to try to keep Twitter in there in general is a defense? You think that that's a defense. You have just given authoritarian leaders all across the fucking globe a roadmap for you to censor their political dissonance for them. You just did that. So you know what you do if a a fucking dictator comes up to you and says, censor my political dissonance, or I'm gonna. I'm not gonna let Twitter be in my country. You know what you say to that person if you are actually a free speech absolutist. If you're actually principled about free speech, you know what you say to them? Go fuck yourself.
1: Yeah. Go fuck yeah. yourself. You fight and that's it. That's the simplest that's answer. That's what you do. You fight it. He could take. He could take a few million dollars and invest in like technology that could easily hack their like internet and enable people access to twitter if he really wants them to be able to communicate using twitter in the country like like there are tech solutions that aren't just saying fuck you that aren't giving into uh dictators and authoritarians trying to censor their populace
0: yeah also one of the things that i love so jimmy wales who is the founder of wikipedia chimed in on the thread and he said quote what wikipedia did we stood strong for our principles. We fought the Supreme Court of Turkey and won. This is what it means to treat freedom of expression as a principle rather than a slogan. And then a bunch of people were arguing, saying, well, Wikipedia is is not a for-profit organization, but Twitter is for-profit. And he basically responded with, okay, so if you're putting money ahead of principles, then just fucking say that. Just just yeah, come exactly. out and say that. That's what you're yeah, doing. Just, exactly. just come out and say that's what you're doing. So... Apparently, a similar thing happened in India with Modi. Hmm. This dude buys Twitter because he was trying to... Because his original accusation was, oh, well, they're coordinating with a bunch of liberal politicians in order to censor stories. And it turns out those stories were just fucking dick pics. Mm -hmm. But then he directly coordinates with an actual authoritarian government to do the exact thing that he bought Twitter to prevent. Jesus Christ. You cannot be the good guy if you do that. Mm -hmm. You cannot be the good guy if you coordinate with dictators, with authoritarians to censor their political opponents. You cannot do that. I'm sorry. Elon Musk is completely full of shit.
1: Yeah. Shit, that's crazy. That is fucking nuts. I did, I had not read that story. That blows my fucking mind. (laughs) Cause like he's been doing, he's been doing like not free speech absolute shit in the United States. Like shadow banning continues at Twitter. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. But the fact that like he's directly suppressing dissidents in authoritarian countries is crazy. So that's, I mean, that's the thing. That's the recap. Elon Musk appears to be largely full of shit on his ability to run companies really well, his his status as a visionary, his status as a warrior for sustainable energy, his status as a warrior for free speed absolutism. In it it really does appear that Elon Musk is leveraging his image, his his ability to get attention talking about these issues and garner significant public support to basically be able to do whatever the fuck he wants and bully people yeah. and have us all put up with it because he's just that special and we just have to put up with it if we want a future that he describes. He's yeah. that's It's a pretty amazing con. Even That's the thing. We can bite the bullet. We can say we can say Elon Musk is exceptional in a bunch of ways. We can say that he's done great things for space exploration and efficiency and and electric cars and all this stuff and still say that Elon Musk is not the savior that he pretends to be and he's full of shit in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. The last point I want to make, I think the final nail in the coffin, well, two final nails in the coffin, um, he endorsed Ron DeSantis. Yeah. He was a climate change denier. Mm Mm-hmm. If Ron DeSantis became president, that would not just put a delay on fighting climate change, that would be a regression in fighting climate change. Like, if you honestly think Ron DeSantis would make a good president, you don't care about climate change anymore. Like, you do not care about climate change. And what's funny is, like, he said he would support Ron DeSantis after saying that he was was looking for a sensible centrist. (laughs) DeSantis is to the right of Trump Mm -hmm. are you kidding me and on top of that he's an anti-trans bigot yeah he tweeted recently quote "Uh, this is a major problem I will be actively lobbying to criminalize making severe irreversible changes to children below the age of consent shame on those who advocate this it is utterly contemptible of course you know Mischaracterizing uh, most uh, gender-affirming care for minors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of which is either reversible or mostly reversible, or not done at a at a, at a really young age. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson, who you know, we'll actually talk more about him a little bit later. Uh, Jordan Peterson commented on this tweet, said, "Quote: Prison, long term without parole, no mercy, and maybe for the compliant therapists." as well as the butchers they enable, to which Musk responded, absolutely. He wants to criminalize therapists for providing gender-affirming care to people who need it, to kids who need it. Life-saving care to people who need it. Life-saving care. There are people that I am very close to that do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And you just fucking threatened him with prison.
1: And now it's time for our favorite segment, Ass Hat -hat of of the the Week. week. So, Nathan, who is our ass hat this week? Michael, our ass
0: hat this week is one of my favorite Canadians. Hmm, Really? It's, uh, I mean, I don't even know what his title is anymore. I guess... Psychologist, professor, political activist, whatever. Jordan Peterson. Ooh. Jordan has P, he come been, on down. Has he
1: been like a D-bag or a, a uh or an ass hat? I feel like I I I feel like we we've, we've neglected our jobs if he hasn't. Yeah, if not, we've really been off our game. Okay, what did Jordan yeah. Peterson do to get on our show?
0: and, and I, I actually like we debated as to whether or not we should make this a um an ass hat or a D-bag. But in order for there to be a D-bag, you have to make an argument that actually has some logic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in order and for this it to just, have logic that defeats itself. That defeats
0: yeah. itself. Yeah. This just this was just fucking nonsense. <laughs> so he was talking about how the gays actually have an enemy in trans people. That Ooh. trans people are their are their real enemies. So he said uh quote and this is this is a long quote so bear with me. Uh part of the reason they're, they were bodily dysmorphic when they were very young. Talking about uh, talking about so-called trans children is because they were homosexual, and there was tension between their emerging sexual proclivity and their biological reality. At least in contrast to what is normative, eighty percent of them will grow up to be gay, and it's not surprising, really, is it, that hyperfeminine little boys who are that way by temperament are going to grow up to be homosexual. And on the other side, the female front, the hypermasculine girls are going to grow up butchy and more likely to be attracted to girls. I don't think that's a real surprise to anyone. But the fact that it's 80% is quite the statistic. And what that means is that 80% of the kids who are being transformed surgically are actually gay. So... I don't know where he got that statistic. <laughs> but I'm assuming that that statistic came from someplace that is very dark and covered in shit. <laughs> because if you've actually read the statistics on like the rate of regret for people who uh who have gender affirming surgery, it's like 1%. Mm-hmm. It's like less than knee replacement surgery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so so his his argument is that Trans people are not actually trans. They're actually gay. Mm-hmm.
1: And, but it and, continues.
0: And not just that, and that. That you can tell
1: gay kids yeah. <laughs> when they're kids
0: <laughs> because... <laughs> Which i just like to point out, like... It's I know so that, like there, there, there are
1: plenty of. According of, to my own gaydar, eighty yeah. percent of kids that I that I that I show as as gay as as trans are actually just gay. My gaydar. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: is such a good impression. Isn't that really good? <laughs> that is, I just really did that. That's the first time I have ever done that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do an impression. <laughs> but like, uh, but like the 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 funny thing the the the, the funny thing here is like I, I mean. There's definitely a stereotype that uh, that gay men are more flamboyant, and plenty of them are, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But, like, I've met some gay dudes that were, like, the epitome of masculinity mm-hmm, like absolutely butchy deep voice huge bulgy muscles mm-hmm. like dude who could
1: probably put my head in their armpit and just crack it like a walnut absolutely like, there is a <laughs> spectrum of presentations across sexual orientation just like there is across yeah, so many other exactly things. Yeah. exactly
0: so anyway he continues quote and so if there's a genocide so to speak and there isn't but if there's a case of mass abuse of the gay community the most egregious examples of those mass that mass abuse is occurring at the hands of the trans activists not the heterosexual monogamous (laughs) i think the gay community was a hell of a lot better when they were oppressed by the heterosexual monogamous than when they're allied with the trans community.
1: That is with the trans amazing. Activists. That is so fucking oh my horrible. So so bad. Oh my god. Which, okay, they let's were just better off quickly oppressed by the what? Let's just focus on the quick implication, the implication that these kids, if not for trans activists turning them trans, would be gay instead.
0: Yeah. Which is so <laughs> stupid. That's not what trans yeah. activists do. <laughs> yeah, I hate to break it to you, but like Unlike straight activists, like gay activists, trans activists, there it's not a numbers game for them. Yeah. They're not trying to collect as many trans people and gay people as humanly possible. Totally. They just want the people who are gay and are trans to be accepted for being gay or trans. That is It's not a numbers
1: uh, game. Exactly. It only <laughs> matters to you personally if there are more gay people or trans people. If you are bigoted. Yeah. And there are bigoted, you know, there are there are bigoted gay people, there are bigoted trans people, there are bigoted six people for sure. But like if yeah. your argument is gay people should hate trans people, and if they don't, that means that there are gonna be fewer gay people, and that's and that's a problem for gay people. It's like well, first of all, it's a terrible factual claim. And secondly, like it relies on its premise. It's it's predicated yeah. on the problem with. The, you know other identity community it's crazy yeah
0: yeah and i mean ask any gay person hey what do you like better heterosexuals who are trying to prevent you from getting married or trans people who exist
1: <laughs>
0: most likely they're gonna say uh i mean. Probably the trans person, (laughs) like actual activists are not going like they are not going to view that as oppression. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to point this out. So this is a narrative that a lot of people have been trying to make in order to drive a wedge between the gay community and the trans community. Because, you know, the the idea is that the reason why the LGBT community has the T in it, meaning has... Gender expression as opposed to just sexual orientation is because they were trying to ally with each other. And there's a narrative that's being pushed to drive a wedge between the uh, the LGB and the T's Mm -hmm. by saying that trans people are just trying to piggyback off of all the progress that the gay community made. But here's the problem with that. This is actually something that a trans friend of mine recently pointed out to me. When did the modern day gay rights community begin? It began at Stonewall. You know who started the Stonewall Riots? Trans women.
1: Hmm.
0: So, by that logic, understanding that, trans people aren't piggybacking off of gay people. Gay people are piggybacking off of trans people. (laughs) So how about we just say, instead of trying to drive a wedge, saying you're piggybacking off of you or you're stealing whatever's thunder, how about we just say, hey, let's all just fight for equality Mm -hmm. because that's what we want. So a deep and hearty congratulations to Jordan Peterson for being our
1: ass hat of of the week. week. (laughs) (laughs) And now we will end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that there's a lot
0: of life management shit Mm. that uh, Jess and I need to get done over the summer that we kind of put on hold during the, uh, um, during uh, the school year mm-hmm. when I was working, and uh, we've been able to get some things done. Nice, and it's making me less stressed.
1: Awesome. So you
0: know, it's it's nice to not have as many things hanging over
1: me. That is awesome. Congrats, dude. That's yeah. really good. Wonder- what about you, Mike?s uh, What's what's your highlight? Honestly, I'm really looking forward to the weekend. I don't think I have anything <laughs> super special. Actually, no, that's not true. My friend Lucas is in town. He's visiting his girlfriend mm. in Seattle, and so we've got I've gotten to hang out with him twice this week, which has been really fun. It's awesome to see people from Virginia over here on the West Coast. And with that, we will thank some of the incredible people that make this show possible. So thank you to our amazing patrons, uh, Jerry DeViller, uh, Taylor Bloom, Kyle Chaska, Fade Scoop, and Tobias Janssen. And thank you to our amazing editor, Kayla, for all they do to make this show possible. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.